I have been loving the podcast. You're both amazing. I'm so excited to be here. And also I'm going to try not to be like a total nerd. So we'll see if I'm successful, but oh, I'm really happy to be here. We would well, love you to be please, a total nerd. Please be a nerd. We like, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm rooted in, in that identity personally. Yeah. So it's All okay. Right. It. <laughs> <laughs> Embrace it. Got my coffee. Candle. Mm. I'm good. Yeah, I was going to ask, um, since there's a storm, I was like, do you have a hot beverage? Um, I'm actually mostly an iced beverage person. Oh. Like, you don't like iced coffee, right? You think it's yucky, but no. <laughs> I, like I, it. I wouldn't mind some iced coffee right now, actually, yeah. because it's, it's. I don't know what, what this is in Fahrenheit, but it's like 30 degrees here today and it's boiling. I'm melting. So Let me look that up. I wish I was boiling a little bit right now it's cold and even in the winter I almost always drink iced coffee like 99% of the time but I do like hot chocolate I love hot chocolate I love hot tea um mm. but Ooh, I love hot tea yeah. iced coffee is my go-to in the morning so okay that's 86 degrees Fahrenheit um now yeah. that I know what you mean there's like this language barrier between us because <laughs> Gabby is always like this thing in Celsius or this thing in meters I'm like this means nothing yeah. <laughs> Amanda Linsmeyer has been a book nerd as long as she can remember and it was that great love of reading especially R.L. Stein books and fairy tales that eventually brought her to writing her own things a self-proclaimed wimp she finds courage in making up stories that scare her a little, and she hopes to scare you a little bit too. She lives in a small house surrounded by trees and cornfields with a man who smells like maple syrup and wood smoke. Together, they have three wonderfully wild children and somehow five pets. Amanda is the author of Starlings, which is coming out in June 2023. That's me. I have I have so many, so many things I want to say, but just yay to maple syrup, man. Um <laughs> <laughs> Good. And also, um, I actually just saw R.L. Stein in the flesh from a distance. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he's very funny. Like at a book conference thing. So I am the, so this is um this is like the thing. Um, so I feel like probably by the end of this interview, I'll be trying to get you to move to Richmond area. Um, I like you already. Uh so. <laughs> Um, so the, uh, in this area, there's like the Edgar Allan Poe Museum and there was this Poe Centennial event and my partner and I went and, um, it had a a couple of authors there and, um, R.L. Stein was one of them. And it was, it was very interesting. You know, my, my partner, he's not super into, um, you know, he, I feel like he kind of humors me a lot, um, which is lovely. <laughs> and um, so we went and he really enjoyed it, but there was kind of something about just talking about the dude that wrote Goosebumps and like heard what he had to say. And he read like a short story and it was super neat. And I was just surprised by just ex- like how funny he is. And I, he's had a lot of experience, I think, being funny to many yeah. generations. I'm sure. Oh my gosh. That would be so cool. I haven't really had the chance to meet any authors in person. I'm still kicking myself because Holly Black came to my state like in 2019 and I wanted to go so badly, but it was like an hour and a half drive and I I don't drive on the highway because mm. way anxiety and mm. I didn't really have any friends that like know her books that, you know, that read her, that genre. So I was like, I'm going to go by myself. I'm going to feel, you know, I just felt like 
And then afterward, I was like, why? Why didn't I go? But that's okay. Maybe I'll meet her one day. I think you just you have will. to add I it to your you list. Will. Like next time, like there will be another time, you know, or when you move to this area and she comes. <laughs> all right. There we go. <laughs> Connie's on her, on her mission again. All the book things. I, I feel like I'm like everyone who meets me and who listens to this probably thinks I'm like the weirdest human, but I, I probably am the weirdest human. So I'm like fine. weird. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you you did want to, we were going to own the nerd and weird today, I think, right? And you write horror, right? Which is a whole other level of like weird and scary. I know you just mentioned anxiety and I feel like, you know, I, my stuff, I wouldn't even necessarily put it in the horror genre, but I feel like I add a lot of horror to my stuff. And um, I too have a lot of anxiety. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder why this is a thing. Do you care to comment, Amanda? Yeah, I've thought about this a lot because I never would have, like, if I went back to the beginning when I started my writing, I would never have thought I would be writing things that were scary and creepy and brutal and, and all of these things because I always considered myself a scary cat. Like, I struggled with scary movies, like, after the first scream came out. I think I slept in my mom's bed for like a week and I was in high school. Like I was so scared. So I've never been yay, like scary things. But at the same time, I did grow up on Arlstein, Fear Street. I had a lot of like kid, more kid friendly, um, scary movies, but somewhere along the lines, I think I, I just couldn't watch those things as much because there's not warning, right? Like there's jump scares and there's things that come out Mm -hmm. and you can't really warn yourself. It's less so I think for reading, but as I'm writing it, I'm finding that I am in control of the scary. And so for me, that's really empowering to take these things that I'm afraid of, look at them like straight on and be able to control what is happening. Um, And through starting to write more horrifying things, I think I'm better able to handle consuming them also. I think that's what it is. I think it's a sense of like not being able to control all of the stuff around me that scares me, but I can handle what's in this book. It's mine. You know, I feel like you just completely pinpointed and kind of cracked open something in my brain as you were talking. You have the ability to control yeah. this thing that you create. And so even if you have a fear of something, that's a way that you can navigate it. That's really beautiful. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Sometimes I don't know ahead of time, you know, what it is that I'm going to be tackling. And it's not always horror things. Like it could be all kinds of other issues, but then like maybe, you know, I always start a a story coming off of another story that was really heavy. And and so I'm like, I'm going to write something fun. I'm going to write about zombie cheerleaders. It's going to be a blast. And then I get get like through the second draft and I'm like, oh, I was working through something in this story that I didn't even know that I was doing, you know? So I think I'm being more aware of that with every story. So what would you say are your biggest story inspirations? I am a very visual person. So I'm very much like can just see a picture and like get a story idea or, um, and music is huge. Like the other day, I just had a playlist on, like it was a discovery playlist where it just guesses what you would like, you know, and play songs. And the song came on and I'd never heard it before. And immediately I got the big first kiss scene in my head just from listening to the song. Like I could picture the whole scene. So, I mean, photography and, and music and, oh my God, so many books. Like I grew up, I was a total book nerd. I was reading long before I started writing 
And I feel like there's a little bit of all of those core stories that have made me who I am in all of my books. You know, I'll, I'll write something and be like, oh my God, that reminds me of this thing. Or I'll purposely put like a little Easter egg in it and be like, this is a nod to this. Like maybe you won't notice it, but some people will. They'll be like, oh yeah, came from this story, you know, there's just so much. I feel like I'm just constantly sucking in inspiration, even if I'm in a dry spell where I can't write. Mm-hmm. Um, which was most of January, <laughs> even though I've been on deadline, it's been tough, but I feel like I'm constantly just collecting ideas throughout my life. Yeah. It's so interesting to me that you identify as a visual creator. I am too. I have to picture things a lot. Uh, and I'm just wondering how, when you write horror and cause I, I can watch horror, but also I have to watch it with somebody else. And my partner, for example, he doesn't like to watch horror. <laughs> he doesn't like to watch anything scary. And if I convince him to watch something with me he blocks his ears and he's like well if I can't hear it then it's not as scary there's not as much kind of tension in the build-up and so I was thinking about that because we don't have that ability in writing to have that kind of sound effect on people who are taking in our words so I was wondering do you like can you share any kind of techniques that you use to convey emotion or kind of unsettled feelings in the reader well this is such a interesting question. And I'm getting a bunch of answers in my head as you're talking. So I'm going to try to condense it a little. I'm opposite your partner in that I'm more like covering my eyes, with like just peeking through when I'm watching, <laughs> you know, cause if I can't fully see it, then it doesn't, it's not really there, but <laughs> writing is interesting for me in that. Okay. This is so complicated, but Gabby, I think you'll appreciate this because you're a scientist. So I have this thing where I can't actually like close my eyes and see things in my brain. Like I can conceptualize, like if you say picture an apple, I can like picture it right now with my eyes open, but some people can actually see like an apple in their mind's eye. Mm -hmm. It's this weird thing. So maybe that's why I'm so visual, like in real life, but so I can conceptualize these things and I can imagine, but maybe there's like a a filter for me because I can't. Oh, that's so interesting. Happening to my character. Like I can picture blood across the snow, for example, but yeah, it's like a memory more than watching it. Yeah. And so and, is that, do you get like a feeling from it as you do, as you, um, as you kind of imagine the scene without the actual image that comes up? Like, it's, this is me it's, getting, sorry. Because yeah, <laughs> it's fascinating. It's called aphantasia and some people can't even dream. Like they don't even get pictures when they dream. And I do, mm-hmm. I get really bit vivid dreams. But for some reason, as I'm like reading a book or writing, I can imagine these things happening, but I don't see them. Mm-hmm. So when I'm writing, I feel like for me, the way to really connect to the scene is to just put my emotion into it. Like, I really feel like I embody my characters through the good, the bad, whatever. And I can tell when the writing isn't as strong. It's when I like, I mean, for all writers, right, it's in the early drafts. But for me, it's because I haven't gotten to know the characters yet. So I can't fully be there. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the way to really get the frightening scenes down and and the sad, griefy scenes down is to be in that moment with them. You know, um, it actually reminds me too of like, I have a a big background in um, like grief and loss work. And there's something called a companioning model, which is kind of like, I'm going to sit here with you. You know, that's kind of what that reminds me of. Um, And also um, to the aphantasia thing, Mark Lawrence, have you heard of him before? Mm -mm. 
he writes fantasy adult uh kind of gritty a lot um but anyway he has that and i was just pulling this up as we were talking um and it he actually uses the apple um thing but it says uh picture this someone says a juicy green apple can you see it his response of course i can't see it my head is filled with all things apple the central concept connects with the myriad associated topics Orch orchards trees red apples rotting apples cider blossom an endless web that spreads along more and more tenuous connections but of course i can't see it i say yes because i assume it's a figure of speech it's very i don't know the whole thing I, this is a um interesting you know you're not the only writer that um that has that and it's uh, his writing is super cool so I think it's really I mean I don't know how common it is I think it's pretty common I know other people who also like can't see things but I, I, I'm glad that I can dream and I see images in my dreams and I mean sometimes I'm not glad right like you go to bed you never know what's gonna happen it's like I just be on all night and you have no choice of what you're gonna be watching I had a back to high school dream last night which was fine but anyway that made me think of that <laughs> the zombie <Friendly>. cheerleaders <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> running late and everyone knows where they're going except me of course but yeah yeah pretty interesting I don't know I definitely feel like I have a great imagination I can conceptualize and visualize and if you say green apple I know exactly what you're talking about I know green apple but mm. maybe I just have to really connect with the emotions more to get the the visuals and imagery across I feel like that's a that's a great way to explore writing though because you then I like the, the examples, Courtney, when you were kind of going the cider and this and that. It's just you branch out in a different way and you give the reader an experience which is not as common as maybe somebody else might. Yeah. Well, and I think too about like all the things we can't see, like feelings and smells and all of that. When I'm writing, I tend to, you know, I'm going to go back in usually and add in like feeling things, right? But that's not, I mean, sometimes I have feelings first or feelings forward. But yeah, I just think there's so many things that we don't see that are so part of the human experience and feelings primarily. I think that's the thing that makes me read. Mm, you want to feel something. Yeah. Yeah. Always. <laughs> I mean, I, I really, I do have, I'm bad at rating books and reviewing, like I'm so behind on all of that. I really try hard to do it for, for good friends for when their books come out. But I was thinking of recently as the reviews start pouring in for my book for ARCs, what is my rating system personally? Like what, what is a five-star read for me? Like, I think the rating is very personal and subjective, but for me, it's if I feel like if I laugh, if I cry, if it elicits some strong emotion in me, like it's broken through this thing for me like we have to do so much like I'm a very sensitive person but I feel like in order to live in this world especially with everything <laughs> everything that that encompasses sometimes we close ourselves off or I know mm -hmm. I do sometimes just to like get through the day right like I can't think of all these things that are I want to think about or I can't put my attention on things that are always happening and so I think reading for me is a way of just waking myself up a little sometimes mm -hmm. And also kind of, I always find as well, because I, I have anxiety, so I also just shut down my emotions when I need to so that I can just keep going. Um, but I also feel like um, when I read and I feel a character's emotion with them, I can feel it, but also dissociate from it in a way that is less intense for me to feel. And I'm kind of thinking about the way you were talking about when you write your own story and you're in control of it. Even though I don't know what's going to happen in the story, I do know that it's going to come to an end, that the character is going to have 
gone through some journey. And so that in a way feels like it's going to be a complete thing. I'm going to feel all these feelings, but then it's going to be resolved. Yes. That's such a beautiful way of putting it and looking at, it, especially if there's like one thing we're kind of working through and maybe we don't even know it. It's like, no matter what, it's unless it's like a series with a long running thread, like no matter what, it's going to probably get resolved. Right. Yeah. Like you were saying, and maybe that's a way of dealing with, with things. Yeah. I, don't I feel know. like that's also why genres and tropes work so well because people have a certain level of expectation. And if you say I'm writing in the genre, there's, there's certain things that are going to happen at certain points in the book and the book has to end in a certain way for specific genres. And people will go to those genres with that expectation and know that they're going to come out with a specific resolution. And there's such a comfort to it. Like I am, I am a book rereader. I'm a book a movie rewatcher. Like some people just can't do that. But I mean, I've probably read my favorite books like a hundred times. I, I have no idea. But I think there's a comfort to knowing exactly what's going to happen. It's like a comfort food, but for your soul not to sound super <laughs> cheesy we like yeah. food metaphors so <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. yeah no I um I agree with that and I'm um I'm the same way with I think certain shows and like movies and things because there's just slightly less work for that and if I'm like in the mood to be comforted I'm like just feed it to me to continue with the food thing yes it's curious to me because um, I also think that if, you know, if I'm looking to be comforted, I would probably pick up a romance because I'm guaranteed the H-E-A, the happily ever after. And what I'm kind of thinking of is you write horror, right? And I think that there also can be something kind of comforting if we're talking about, you know, there's an arc. We know like hard, bad things are going to happen, but it has to conclude in some way, right? And I do think that maybe you're really writing realism here, right? Because so much of life, it's a mixture of things, right? But there are like horrible, bad things that, you know, that happen and things that really scare us. And there's something very comforting to the idea that this transformation is going to happen because that's what we're promising with a story. When you're reading or writing, do you ever find comfort in like reading or writing horror in the way that, you know, someone might find comfort in romance, right? Like the, um, the arc has a promise to it. Yeah. I think there is a comfort to like having everything turn out. Okay. And my books or my stories are such a genre blend. I think of between fantasy and horror. So it's like magic, but lots of creepy moments. So there's like this sense of enchantment sometimes and then like the more most horrible thing happens right after you know I love playing with the feel and the tone of the book but I also think that I just have for someone who like thought that they couldn't handle scary stuff like I love the most like deliciously creepy horrible things like they will send chills down my spine in the best way and I realized that over the course of actually when I started writing like fantasy and, and horror things because before that I didn't really know who I was as a person let alone as a writer so my earlier work is really not me but I just have so much fun like it's it can be half of it so cathartic and I definitely work through or I don't know if I work through as in like healed but like I definitely had a big journey with starlings as far as things in my life and issues and experiences but on the other hand like I just was so indulgent about the things that I wanted to have in there that just made me feel so happy and they were creepy and eerie. And so part of it's really super fun. And then the other part, like you and Gabby were saying, is just such a resolution 
of things that maybe doesn't always happen in real life, but that we can control in our stories. That's a long answer. Sorry. I love it. No, <laughs> never apologize. <laughs> yeah. I want to know if, if you can say some of it without being spoilery, can you, uh, can you tell us like a self-indulgent thing you did? Oh God. Yes. I mean, cause I'm so Pinteresty about, you know, when I'm building storyboards, like uh-huh. I got so many boards and so many story aesthetics and vibes. So like, I very much wanted to have this imagery of these girls in white dresses with wreaths on their head, like very midsummer, like kind of thing. But I hadn't even watched that until I had my call with my editor and she, like my very first call like before she made the offer. And she was like, oh my God, your book reminds me so much of this movie. And I was like, oh, I have, you know, and then I was like, I better watch it because I want to know what she's talking about, you know? Um, And so that, like I put that in there and then there's these roses that never die and like there's all oh. kinds of stuff in there that I I had to put in oh my gosh <laughs> okay I wanted to ask about when your book is out as well and then also if you can give us like a couple of sentences of like your like your pitch for the book I think we got some great vibes but for anyone listening that isn't familiar yeah so the book comes out on June 27th of 20. 20- 23 this year. So it's absolutely wild just because my path to get here took so long, so long, more than a decade and so many ups and downs, so many failures, and then some wins along the way. And then once it happened, it happened so quickly. And now I've, you know, I've sold two books within a year and I just like, it's still really surreal. It's wild that it's coming out this year and I can finally say my book's coming out this year because when you first, you know, it, the book deal takes so long, like it's 18 months or two years for some people, unless they're with a smaller press or self-publish. And then, you know, the timeline is a little shorter, but it's finally coming. Um, Congratulations. Then, <laughs> thank you. I did pull up my pitch because I forgot to answer that word and I oh, don't please. Answer. I'll please. fumble if I try to say it verbally. So Starlings is a dark, well, they, they're calling it dark YA fantasy. But when I sold it, they called it horror. And then I, I asked my editor, I was like, what would, you know, cause I know that it's a blend. So what should I refer to it as for these purposes? And she's like, go either way, any way you want. So, cause it's, it really is a blend of the two, but on here, it says a dark white fantasy, perfect for fans of house of hollow and small favors in the wake of her father's death, a teen girl discovers a side of her family. She didn't know existed and is pulled into a dark and ancient bargain. She is next in line to fulfill. Okay, so we have family secrets, mm-hmm. bargains, mm-hmm. creep factor, girls mm-hmm. in white dresses mm-hmm. with like the, the, they're not, are they the flower crown. crowns? The, the flower crowns, yeah. Flower yeah crowns. They're dead flowers. Of course they dead are. Flowers. Oh my yeah. God. What, oh my God. Do we know what, what kind of dead flower do we know? There are all different kinds. Okay. There's, yeah, depending on the meaning, there's a, there's a florist. Oh book and yeah oh. I loved, loved writing him anyway so we have okay that is like this is like scratching all my itches pressing all my buttons because I love <laughs> like I got like I got a book on you know the meaning of flowers and all that yeah. stuff because I freaking love that stuff I also have like um I feel like I have a whole murder library too um Ooh. it's like related <laughs> to that but I just got like a bunch of books on like poison and stuff anyway for fun <laughs> just, just put a poison book 
in my TV, TBR, like I just saw the art of poison or whatever. And I was like, that looks incredible. I, I love really poison this year. <laughs> yeah. Amanda, I'm going to make this offer here. Let's be friends. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, Let's poison someone. Um, <laughs> that too. That too. A bargain. Right after talking about poisoning, it all comes together. I know. Well, I just like, I like creepy people. Like creepy, like creepy with like a little bit of weirdness. Like you're my vibe. I like yeah. it. And you're anxious too. Definitely yeah. friendship material. <laughs> I feel like the anxiety and writer, the circle is whatever. You know what I mean? I don't do science words, but you know. It's okay. One, one third of this uh, group does. Yeah. <laughs> the correlation. Yeah. I do want to know about Starlings though. Who for you was the, the most interesting character to write? Okay. So for me, oh God, I'm thinking of one I can't say because it's, I think it's, too spoilery. So I will say Agatha. Agatha Starling is Kit's grandmother. And I really hated her when I started working on this, just because I couldn't really, I felt like she was a little bit cold. And I just grew to love her and love writing her. I think she's a very complex character. And she's just so opposite kind of of what my my grandma was. Um, I only grew up with one grandma and she lived many states away. So I didn't see her very much. And she passed away a couple of years at 98, but she was very sweet and like a little grandma, you know, and Agatha is very, you know, she's rich and beautiful and she's got all her stuff in order and she's very it was just interesting to write this relationship between her and Kit who they both want to connect with each other, but like, there's just this divide, I think, because they haven't known each other for Kit's whole life. And I think people either love her or hate Agatha, they either love her or hate her. As a writer, I always find it so interesting when we create these characters who we don't immediately connect with, because I feel like some part of us is still writing characters that are a part of us. And then I also find that sometimes I write a character who I don't like very much and then kind of go through the motions and they grow on me. And I always kind of get to the end of a story and go, oh, like these parts of the character have a little bit of me in them, which I didn't see when I was writing it. But I feel like it's a little bit of a journey of kind of getting to know and accept certain parts of myself that I don't or would never normally think about until I actually went through the process of writing and creating this whole character who is now external to me and I can view later on as a different entity, but still kind of a part of myself. I love that. And I think it's, there's something to be said for not every character, even if I get to know them super well and know them like, like I know myself, doesn't mean I'll necessarily like them. I don't have to like them to connect with them. Just like there are parts of myself that I don't like. I mean, I accept and I love myself, but of course, like we all have flaws and we all have things. I think it's part of writing a character who is maybe not likable all the time can also be really good because we can, I feel like I can recognize some of those things in myself and be like, okay, well, I do, I do the same thing as she does, but I can accept myself and love myself. And, you know, it's kind of freeing, I think, to write. I mean, I love writing villains. Those are 
so fun to do, but um, I think sometimes it's even trickier to write those characters who are maybe morally gray and maybe closer to our own flaws. I think morally gray characters are probably my favorite to write. Yeah, yeah. They, they feel so real when you when when everybody's a hero, but everybody's also an enemy to everybody else, and it just gets kind of all really tangled up into this this huge relationship type mess where everybody has to figure out how they. I know, kind of like real life, right? We we all think we're the hero of something, but to someone else, we're probably not. Yes, well said, absolutely. And that's the juice. <laughs> it is the story though. juice. It is because no, you're right. It like it's so when things are so messy, and that also just um, adds so much tension because we're always guessing, and you know, what are they going to do, and how are they going to react. So I agree. I um I did want to um ask this because uh, you had actually um you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but can you talk a little bit more about your writing journey? Because you said it's been ten years, and um I know every day, at least for me, feels like ten years. And <laughs> so that is uh as someone who doesn't like numbers, I can't do math. So that's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, I'll, it's a long, I mean, I'll try to condense really well, but, um, so it's been more than 10 years, actually. So like I said before, I start, you know, I was a reader long before I was a writer. I grew up reading, um, always had my nose in a book until like high school when I had a social life and friends, and then I would, you know, go out on the weekends. But before that, it was like, my favorite thing to do on the weekends was just read like 10 books, you know? And I never, like, I always liked English class and I did well in like creative writing and stuff, but I never thought about being a writer. I didn't really know what I was going to do. So I was very directionless. I didn't do well in school. I actually got kicked out of college my second semester, I think, or maybe it was early sophomore year because I I was failing because my grades were so bad. Like, I just had no, I didn't go to class. I didn't do homework. I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. And it wasn't until I was 21 or 22 I don't know if I was waitressing at that point, or I think I was a receptionist, but I just still had no, like, what what was my purpose? Like, I knew I wanted to do something creative, but I didn't know what. And I was reading a book and I was so mad at the way it ended. I think I threw it across the room and I don't, I don't remember what the book was, but I just remember being like, oh my God, I could write something better than that. Like I was just mad, you know? And so I set out to write my first book. And of course I was wrong because it was not good. It was bad and it was weak. And it was like, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. I mean, I knew what story was because I was a reader. I was an avid reader, but I didn't know anything about any of the rules of writing, how to be a good writer, how to make a good story, a good arc. Like I knew nothing, but it was so much fun. I don't remember having any stress over that book. I just remember it was a joy to write. This was, you know, like 2003, 2004. Um, so it was called Stilettos for a Fat Girl with P-H-A-T, fat. Um, it was very like, yeah, it was fun. Um, and then I started querying that, but I did it all wrong. So like, of course there was the internet, but it wasn't like now. So I think I got one of those big, thick writer's digest, like publishing books with the publisher's names in the back. And I sent, I printed out the full manuscript and sent it directly to like Random House. I still have my rejections from those publishers who are like, um, you need a literary agent. Please don't send us this crap again, basically. No, they were super nice and professional, but like, that's how it felt, you know, at the time. And looking back and like, oh my God, I can't believe I did. Like I sent the full right out there. Um, 
And then once I got those rejections, I was like, oh, what's a literary agent? What, what's that? You know, so then I started learning and researching more and I started writing my next book. And I remember one of the passes was like, I, I like the concept, but there's too much exposition. And I was like, well, what's that? What's that mean? You know, and then I learned about like showing and telling. And that, that's when I started like actually improving my craft as a writer. So my second book took me like seven years to write because one, I don't think I was that disciplined, which is fine. And I was a new mom and I would like write during nap time and, you know, whenever, whatever. Um, and also it was very sad and personal. And it just, every time like something bad would happen in my life, it'd be like, well, I'll put that in the story. But to be honest, I didn't want to write about it at the time. You know, it was like, it was so healing eventually, but at the time it was really hard to jump back into it when I had just experienced those things. And so I started querying that like actual literary agents. I learned how to write a query. And I told myself, I'm going to, I'm going to get 100 rejections. Because at the time, to me, that meant like I had at least sent out a hundred queries and I was trying and putting myself out there. But in hindsight, like I probably should have shelved that book a long time before, you know, but I ended up querying over 200 agents and I didn't really have any beta readers. Like I, I joined this local library critique group. I didn't know anyone in town because we had just moved here. So I was very much like fumbling along the way. Um, and then I started getting, the passes started getting a little bit more encouraging. Like instead of just forms, they were like, oh, I really loved your voice, but I just couldn't connect, you know, whatever. Um, so I did a full revision with the help of my first critique partner, Tara. And then the passes got better and better. And I was like, oh my God, like I've queried 250 agents, but like I'm getting there. I was so stubborn. I just didn't want to give up. To me, I was like, I, I, I'm getting this pu published. You know, I don't care how long it takes. So I think it was like, around year nine, like after I'd started writing, where I said, what if I, like, I'm so close, I've pretty much run out of agents to query. And what if I query small presses? And so I queried two and the first one on my list made me an offer. And my book was published in 2015, which was exciting. Um, and then they folded not long after, like a year after. So my book went out of print. I felt super bad for some of my friends that were with the press too, like that we became friends because of the press, um, because they were still in it, you know, their hearts were still in it. And for me, like I had outgrown that book by the time it was published. Like I said before, I really didn't know who I was when I wrote that. So it was, oh, like they called it women's fiction. And I never read books like that. And I think I just needed to write it for myself, but I didn't know that till after the fact. And then that's when I started writing fantasy was like a year after it was published. And I think up till that point, I just didn't think I was capable of doing it. Like, you know how you can admire a, a genre so much. Like I love historical romance. There's no way I could write that. So I think I felt that way about fantasy. And, and then I read The Hazelwood in 2018. And that is the book that changed my trajectory because I remembered exactly what I had felt like as a kid reading Fear Street and Goosebumps. When I picked that book up, I was like, oh my God, I'm getting chills. I'm, I'm nervous. Like, and it felt incredible. It was like such this adrenaline rush. And after I read that, I thought, well, can I write something like this? And that's like, I feel like a huge turning point when my life changed. So I wrote this witchy book and I queried that. And then I wrote two poetry books and I self-published those because poetry books are super hard to get published traditionally. But I knew I really wanted my next novel to be published traditionally. And I finally got my first agent in 2018. 
in the fall. And that was with a um, fairy tale retelling called Red as Blood, which is now on submission again. That's another long story. Um, anyway, and things didn't just didn't work out the way that I wanted. And the book didn't sell. And then while I was on submission with that, though, that's when I started writing Starlings. And then my agent and I pulled Red, like we did not send it out on a second submission um, because I, you know, in hindsight, I don't really know why, because Starlings wasn't ready to send out, like I could have kept it out, but we didn't keep it out. We thought Starlings was stronger. So for all of 2020, I was pretty much revising Starlings with her. And then on January, early January, 2021, like January 4th, I found out my agent had left the business. And so that was another one of those moments where it's like, yes, my book is published. No, it's not anymore. It's out of print. And then, yes, I have an agent. And then, no, it's not. It's out of print. Or they're leaving, you know. So I was back to querying. But it honestly was the best possible thing for me. And my book, you know, I had spent all year revising it. It was ready to query. Like, I couldn't have asked for a better scenario. I had my whole manuscript back. I had the rights back. I could do what I wanted with it. And I queried three days later. So I spent um, 2021 querying and the landscape post COVID, like I know we're still, still happening, but like post pandemic, like the major thing was so different. Like I really feel for everyone querying right now, because I think that the timing is much better than it was, but it took three times as long to get replies from when, when I did it the first, you know, six, whatever times with other books. Um, and I really started feeling quite jaded. And I don't think I realized it until we did Writing with the Soul, which really like brought back my hope, I think. I think I had kind of lost a little hope that this was going to happen for me. And like I had gone through, I mean, they call it the dark night of the soul, but like I really felt like I have no purpose in life. There's no point to doing this. I... And I never would have thought I would give up writing because I'm so stubborn and I love it so much. But I was like, what is the point if I'm never going to share with anyone? So I like let myself consider just giving up. And I, I mean, I know I'm dramatic and I'm a writer, but I, I really felt like someone had ripped out my soul in that moment, like taking away this thing that meant so much to me. And I was like, hell no, I'm not doing that. Like, I don't care, you know, how long it takes. I don't care. You know, I've already been doing it this long. I might as well just keep going. And yeah, it was just a lot of emotion and fear. And like, I felt very, I mean, I was a stay-at-home mom for years, but I did feel a sense of like, I think, and I think a lot of people experience this, but not contributing. I'm not bringing anything to my household. I can't buy groceries for our family. Like it was all on my husband, my partner to do these things. So I really felt like, and almost embarrassed when people would be like, oh, how's writing going? And I had nothing to show for it, you know? I, I mean, I don't think that happens for everyone, but it had been so long, you know, at that point, it kind of felt silly for me to talk about it at times. And I, I wish I could go back and tell myself, like, just breathe and like, give yourself a little grace because it's something you're passionate about. And there's never any reason to be embarrassed by that. Like something that makes you happy, you know? Sorry, this getting so long but then anyway I signed I signed with my agent um September of 2021 so it was like nine months of querying and we sold starlings a month later so oh like gosh it's, I just 
I still can't believe it because I just, and, and I think most people who are in this process of whatever they're reaching for, right, whatever they're struggling towards, if you could just tell someone, hey, it's going to be eight years, it's going to suck, you're going to, you're going to second guess yourself, but it's, but you're going to get there in year nine, like, it would be so much easier if we could know, right, I never thought that I would be starting to write in, you know, 2003, 2004, and my book wouldn't be out until 2023. Like I know I had books published and little successes and things, and I'm really proud of, of the things that I've done, but damn, that was a long time, you know, like that was really long, but I'm so thankful for it because I, I know how strong that I am now. And I know date like debut year has already been (laughs) wild, like emotionally. And I don't think I would have been ready for it. Me personally, like other people may, may be ready for it much sooner, but I don't think I would have been able to handle everything that, that I know is coming without all these experiences. Wow. First of all, just wow. And like when you were talking to, I'm just, you know, having like a lot of feelings and stuff. Cause I, I just really see how much of an emotional journey this has been too. And so much of this creative process, right? It's so personal and, you know, and to do it for so long, you know, and this is something too, that Gabby and I talk about, like, you know, all the doubts and the things like, am I good enough? Who's going to tell me no again? And can I do it? And I I just, I, I guess as a type of faith that I have, you know, I don't consider myself to be like particularly religious in any way but you know it I guess I am when it comes to writing and all of that but I just feel like you know so much energy like putting it into this thing and keep on going and even though it's hard like I just feel like it's impossible it won't happen if you keep doing it like how you've described and here you are in 2023 and like it's your freaking debut year that's incredible I think so and like I'm a very spiritual person so I believe in like, I believe in things that are meant for us, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and there's no way you can want something this badly without it being meant to be a part of your life. And I think there are so many writers out there like that are listening to the show and just, there's no way to know how long it's going to take. Right. Or like, and I could like, my publisher could close tomorrow. Like there's no guarantee, you know? Um, And like, look what, happened with the strike with Harper, like all of these writers books are on hold and people get, there's just always so much that you can't control. And I think that is the biggest lesson I've learned through this whole thing is just the sense of perspective that I can't control whether my agent leaves the business. I can't control whether my publisher folds. I can't control how many rejections I get or what's trendy right now or what's selling or what's, you know, or someone really popular just released a book just like mine. So no one's going to want to buy mine but I can control the writing and it always has to come back to that love of writing because I think I let myself at a point during this whole thing get so focused on the external. Like it wasn't that I didn't love what I was doing or writing, but I was so focused on all these outside things that it overshadowed this love and passion that I have for the actual craft of writing. And at the end of the day, that's the only thing that I can do is just get back to the page, put my heart into this and hope that it connects with someone at some point. And you know what? Like if it doesn't, there's other options. Like I have a book on submission now. Red is back on submission now as an adult story. Um, it was on submission as YA before and it, it hasn't sold yet. And we have had this just waiting period, right? 
And I'm just not letting myself doubt. Like if it's meant to be published, it's going to be published. If a publisher doesn't want to buy it in a couple of years, I will gladly put it out on my own. Like there's no, mm. no problem. Like I think hybrid publishing is really interesting. And I love the idea. I think it just needs to always come back to like, anytime we're doubting or looking outside of ourselves, we need to come back to just come back to the page. It's such a simple mm. concept, but I definitely am guilty of like forgetting that. I love that. And it almost reminds me in some ways of, you know, when you're talking about needing to look up what happens to make sure everything's going to be okay. And maybe what's on the Wikipedia page is just go back and write. (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. I mean, everything that I've learned through rewriting and writing the next book and writing the next book and writing the next book, like I am so much stronger, not just as a writer, but as a person, like the things that I've learned. And I know you both understand that because you take, you know, you learn so much from every experience when you're writing and it's such an honor and a gift to be able to do that, that I can't look back at this time and be like, what a waste of time. What, oh man, I should have been published 10 years ago. No, I wouldn't be the same person. And and this is the story that was meant to be the one that comes out. And I'm so glad that it is because I think it's it's something that I'm really proud of and not everyone's going to like it. Some people are going to hate it. Someone might even throw it across the room one day because they hate it. <laughs> hate the ending. And maybe but then they sense. might be inspired. Yeah. But I can only look at it as this thing that came out of me that I put so much in during the worst year, one of the worst years of my life. Mm-hmm. And I think 2020 was that for a lot of people. And damn it, I'm just grateful. I'm just so happy. And I hope that I never lose that because I know how long it took for me to get here and how much it took, you know, I hope I just never lose that perspective. You know, we actually, um, we're recording this, so (laughs) you can go back and listen. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I just want to say, Amanda, I'm, I'm kind of listening to you talking and I'm feeling this knot in my throat and just so emotional about listening to your journey. And it's really, really beautiful. Like everything, the way that your perspective of it now, looking back and seeing how everything kind of needed to happen for you to come to this place, to release this book, to be with, you know, on this path. And I think as writers, we carry so much emotion all of the time, not only for our stories, but for, you know, how we, how our stories interact with the world and how we have to be so vulnerable and put them out and then have to deal with all of that. And kind of, sometimes I feel like I have to compartmentalize it a little bit, like, you know, dealing with the rejections or Mm -hmm. trying to figure out, oh, is it, is it my story? Is it that that's not good enough? Or, you know, what you just, you just never know. And there's so much um, that needs to come from us. And so I, I just loved what you said about kind of coming back to yourself and remembering that you are the person who is telling the story for a reason. You're coming to the page for a reason and to remember what that is. Yeah. I, I think that could be applied to so many areas in our lives. And as I'm getting older, like I'm going to be 40 this spring, which is wild. But I'm caring, and I've heard many women in their 40s say this, that they just don't care what other people think anymore. And it's not so much that I don't care. Like, of course, I want people to like my book. But I think the most important thing is, do I care? Do I love it? Am I proud of it? And the great thing, like, yes, it sucks getting rejected. Like, I think after a while, 
if it happens long enough, you kind of get numb to it, unless it's someone, you know, that you're really crossing your fingers for, right? Like that dream agent, even though they say don't have those, of course we all had dream agents. But I think the great thing about having been published before is that I've had bad reviews. I've seen one-star reviews that were really mean and made me sad. <laughs> like it made me feel kind of bad. I've been rejected from magazines. Like um, I still remember the three letter, three word pass I got from an editor at a magazine for a short story. And it said pointless and violent. And that was it. That was the pass. What? So I feel like the Band-Aid has been ripped off a little bit for me. Not to say that there won't be surprises. And of course, when I'm getting the, the great reviews, like it feels amazing. Like I was in tears last week. Someone DM'd me just absolutely raving. And then it's like, you get it. You got what I was doing here. You connected with it. That's all I can ask. Like you cried or you, you were scared or you had to like wake up your partner and be like, oh my God, I got to redo this, whatever. It's just something that made you feel. And that's what I want to do. I want to take whatever is in here and have someone look at it right and be like I see I see I understand last week we were talking about mirror moments and I feel like this is kind of a little bit of an extension of that of just people really understanding and then seeing what it is that you tried to do and then having it reflected back at them and you then getting to have the knowledge that somebody got it and also maybe it kind of resonated with them in a way that helps them reframe the way they were thinking about something or at least makes them feel like they're not the only person who's out there experiencing it in the way that they were so I always felt as a kid that reading made the world less lonely I was the kid who would just like sit in the corner of the library and read everything because that was what I did I didn't really I didn't have very many friends and so books are my friends yeah books are amazing and there's so many people that resonate with that and I think when I'm writing I don't set out to do anything initially you know it's like I'm telling the story just for me in the beginning it's just what am I telling and then it's once I'm going back through that that I'm like oh you know that's when the realization comes and that's when I hope well this is what I was feeling I hope I hope it comes out okay and I hope that it makes sense (laughs) you know I hope that I I did it justice right yeah it's just this whole thing is just um, an amazing and scary and overwhelming and wonderful process, like much like life. Yeah. It's like a, like the mini series of life in, in parallel. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, there's some, you know, that there are going to be things that might surprise you down the line. And I was curious if, since you've now gone into this process of this is your first book coming out. This part is very new for you. Is there anything that you experienced that was surprising to you that you learned from and that you could share with us? Oh, yes. I guess I didn't think that I would have so much revision to do once I got my book deal. And my editor is amazing. She's brilliant. She's so, so, so good. And I think I sometimes am very oh, I love this idea. It's amazing. And oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And she has a very wonderful way of being like, okay, wait, let's like connect this thing that you're trying to do with this other thing so that it all comes around, you know? So I have great ideas, but I know after doing this that I don't always execute them the way that I think. So it's been wonderful having this person to work alongside of to be like, wait, 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 you you were going somewhere with this. It was amazing. Can you just finish it? You know, but I didn't expect to have, you know, I had like you hear of like developmental edits and copy edits. And it was like, I had five, six rounds of revision. I think it was six 
And at the end of those, I started feeling like kind of bad. I was like, geez, am I the worst writer in the world? Like, why do I need, you know? And she was like, this is nothing. Some people have 10, like it, this is totally normal. And then I felt a little better, but I think, and then they weren't all super intense. Like there were different stages, but I had a lot of, you know, the bones of the story are there. Like all the main things I wanted are there, but there were definitely scenes that were cut. And uh, there were just things in it that were going off in all these other directions that were not making them the story, the focus. And I think there was a point during like revision number four, when Rachel, my lovely, our lovely friend, Rachel was like, you know, I was kind of gloomy, like, God, I just want this to be over. Like, I'm so, I feel so bad that I have to do all this. And like, I feel so, I was feeling really insecure. And she was like, this is a gift. This is more time with your story that you wouldn't have normally. And this is one of the last times you're going to be able to change anything. So like, look at it at this time from that point of view. And when I did that, I was like, oh my God, this is time with my characters. And I, I always think of my characters as real people in the sense of like, when I'm like right now I'm on submission and I think of my main character with her hand, like on my shoulder, standing behind me, like, please keep going, like tell my story, keep going. Like, and when I was clearing, I did that. I just feel like there's a part of them that exists on this other I know it sounds a little woo-woo, but I just, they become so real. And so to have that chance to, I get to improve this story. I get to strengthen it with some brilliant people in publishing. I get to make it better and have more time with these characters and do their story justice. Like I, it completely reframed my perspective on that. And right now I'm drafting my second book, which is on deadline. It's due February 15th, which I'm trying not to panic about because it has been really hard because I sold up on three chapters in a proposal like the story was written but I basically restarted the whole thing from scratch but there's this point in me that's like the pressure is also off because I know I got lots of work ahead of me we got several rounds ahead to like make this really good so I think there's this this pressure that's I mean everyone knows the first draft is like you know it's cake batter it's not a cake as that one thing goes but Okay, I love that. I've never heard that. So I just want to say that's perfect for our podcast. (laughs) Like you would never look at eggs and flour and sugar and be like, that's a shitty cake. You would be like, that's the ingredients for a cake. And that's what a first draft or some people call it a zero draft. I I don't know who said that, but so there's just this pressure that's off. Like, I know it's, I know I'm filtering. I know my characters are cardboard right now. Like some of them, I know that this plot thing is going nowhere, but it's going to get there. Like I have complete faith that it's going to get there and I'm going to have help along the way from CPs and people. And Gabby, you were so amazing. You read the, like the old draft. And I love that book just by the way, (laughs) I feel very privileged that I got to read an early draft of it. And I'm reading yours right now, you know, and I'm loving it. So. Oh, I'm so excited. That's, um, that's my YA Courtney. Yeah. That Amanda's reading. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to be revising that soon. Like I'm, yeah, I'll probably be finished with it sort of mid-feb-ish, I hope. Yeah, and just to say, um, you were kind of saying like, oh, not to be woo-woo, but we're like really woo-woo about story. Like we are very um, spiritual <laughs> about story. And, um, yeah. you know, like I honestly feel like that's like probably the whole point of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and snacks. And snacks. Also snacks. Yeah, yeah. Also snacks. always. Yeah. <laughs> you will, like, when I, I didn't say this before, but when I was drafting that fairy tale, read. And Gabby, you'll, you'll really like this because I know you do fast drafting a lot. I don't know if you do, yeah. Courtney, but I... Glacial I, I, drafting? Okay. <laughs> I took Tomi Adeyemi's 
plot writing course. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right. And then I wrote the outline for that book in like a week. And I had the, I had bits and pieces of it, but then I set myself a deadline. I was like, I'm going to write this and query it in six weeks. And that was back in 2018. And not only did I draft it, I revised it twice over and I beat my deadline by one day. It was, I mean, I gave myself carpal tunnel. I still have a lot of issues with my hands now because of that. But I had a feeling as I was writing it, I was like, I'm getting an agent with this story. I know this is the story that gets me an agent. I was right. It wasn't the story that got published, but I got my first agent with that story. But that one felt so magical. Like I often feel with stories and certain ones are easier than others, but more like we're just a conduit, right? And just if the inspiration is good and like everything clicks into place, like I'll just be typing. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm just letting it come out. And that was one of the ones that was really big for me. So that really, really hits true for me. It rings true for me. It's true. It's not a saying. Because I, I swear by fast drafting now since I've been doing it, because I feel like there's just less time to doubt yourself. As soon as you intuitively feel like you want to put something down on the page, if you're telling yourself, I'm going to finish this in X amount of days, and this is the word count I want to hit, I just have to do it. I have to do it. I have to put the words down. And I tell myself later on, I can take those things out. But I find that there are a lot more gems in what I'm doing when I fast draft than if I start letting myself think a little bit. And what if I take this out? I'd rather just leave a note and say, think about what's going to happen here, if this makes sense or what you need to do, and then just move on. And so the book you're reading now of mine, Amanda, is the one that I fast drafted in, in a month. And I felt like it was just so fun to write because I didn't have to I didn't have time to say, oh, I, I'm not sure about this or, you know, I just had to, I just had to keep going. To I be fair, so. you did say that after. <laughs> <laughs> As we all do. <laughs> right, yes. I think there's something to be said for taking away the self-doubt. A lot of writers, a lot of writers and a lot of ones I know and myself included, struggle with like imposter syndrome and, and perfectionism and all of these things that get in the way. And it's not so simple as just being like, oh, I'm not going to be a perfectionist anymore. I'm just going to write my book. Yeah, but yeah. I think if you discover like that tool really works for you, fast drafting really works for you. And I have another friend who's like, if, if I'm not feeling it, I'm not writing. I don't care if it takes six months. I'm not putting words down if I don't feel inspired. She just doesn't want to overthink it and force it. So I think yeah. if we just know what works for us, and sometimes that just happens over time as we learn our process. But honestly, I think every book is a little different and requires different care. And of course, like when you add in things like deadlines or like revise and resubmit, like there's all kinds of other things get thrown in there. So we don't always have the choice of, I mean, we always have the choice, but you know, there's different things that come into play. But as long as you kind of know what works for you, I think that's when the magic happens. So when I did that challenge, for instance, because I did it on Instagram, I was like, if I put this out into the world, then I'm going to have to show up for it. And a lot of the feedback that I got was, how do you how do you actually put out all of these words in time to do that? The thing that comes back to me, though, every time is just exactly what you're saying, which is just knowing yourself well enough to to know that when I put myself into the chair today, this is how I'm going to meet myself and meet the page. And which is, it's not a satisfying answer for a lot of people, but I do think there's, for me, a lot of the preparation is just knowing myself well enough to know how I'm going to be able to get through it. Yes. And I think giving ourselves permission to fail is really important. Not like life gets in the way, right? Especially if you are 
a caretaker of small children or an elderly parent, or you have a lot of pets, like, I swear I'll like sit at the computer and, you know, my dog will like throw up right there, right? As I'm getting, you know, it's like something gets in the way all the time and we have to be okay with being flexible. Like I am the most, like, I am very aggressive with my self ambitious. I will get my butt in the chair and I will, you know, if I have a goal, I will get it. But I also have learned to really balance that with like, if I want to lay on the couch and watch Netflix for two hours, I will let myself do that too. So I think like knowing, like you said, how we're going to meet the page and being realistic and being flexible and not letting things derail us. Like if things get in the way, it doesn't mean that your whole day was a a failure. It doesn't mean that your pages are going to suck tomorrow. Like if they suck today, it doesn't mean tomorrow's going to be bad. Like we just need to come back each day with a fresh heart, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and realizing also that we're human and, you know, sometimes we think something sucks and then we read it the next day and realize, oh, maybe I was just in a bad mood because the dog threw up or whatever. And kind of making space for that part of being human is such an important thing to remember because we put so much pressure on ourselves. I feel like a a lot of writers do to get everything right, get the story where it needs to be, get your craft down to the T, get, you know, everything perfect. And there, there is no such thing as getting it perfect. And that was a very hard lesson for me to learn because I am a perfectionist. And so, yes, the fast drafting process was the way for me to kind of unlock that barrier for myself. I love that. And I think that's one reason I love, and these are new to me, is the cheerleading reads, like from CPs, mm-hmm. reads or whatever. I had never heard of such a thing until like the last year. Like I have some amazing CPs all over the board, but I had never heard of that. Like I always know everyone makes a point to say something positive during the read. Like that's why you have CPs that you trust and they're great at balancing out the good and the constructive and all that. But I love the idea of the positivity read because sometimes we just need to know like there's something here, right? Yeah, yeah. That like perfectionism and that part of ourselves that that's negative. Yeah. I mean, when you guys mentioned that, I think on the podcast I listened to. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, for me, the positivity read is so important in the drafting phase as well because I'll just share things as as I've spat them out, like they're not edited at all. And Courtney will, and Nadine will just be like, yes, this is fantastic. <laughs> and it just pushes me to keep going, even though I know there's certain things wrong with it. We just, you know, that's for later to fix. And it's so good to know what works and to know that there's something in the story mm-hmm. to keep to keep going. Yeah. And for someone just to be waiting on what's next, like th- that's something that's so important. And also like with Gabby's stuff, I always know I'm going to get like some really good verbs in there that I'll be really excited about. Yeah. So word choices are just impeccable. Yes. yes. I, gotta say. I also oh, think like, you. I sometimes feel bad because I'm like hassling my writer friends. Like, okay, where are those freaking chapters that you, pro- you know, like I want to be supportive <laughs> of them taking their sp- space and time, but at the, you know, I'm like, hello, like, I do that too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But okay. But I set the expectation. I'm like, if you're going to ask me to read for you, understand that I'm going to keep pestering you for chapters. You're asking for someone to heckle you. Yeah. So yeah. But also like all of it is just part of the journey. Like even like with your dog throwing up right next to you or whatever, like, you know, and I think like for me right now, um, like I've just been in a transitional space. I feel like for years, like, and it's really, you know, I mean, and writing is one of those things I come back to that feels kind of like a focal point of like, at least I have this thing, you know, but um, I just, you know, I like that we've kind of made some space too for it to just be difficult, <laughs> yeah. you know, cause I mean, life 
is super challenging. Like Gabby always talks about like, know yourself, you know, and if you know that like the end of the day, you, you have like a job that really requires a lot from you. Um, like what I try to do, if I can, if I haven't slept like crap, I would really do try to get up in the morning and do it before the day has its way with me. And even if it's just for 20 minutes, or at least if I look at it and then I yeah. can think about it in my free time, you know, that's something that I try to do. Yeah. That's another one of those tools. Like when my kids were little, I would set a timer for 15 minutes. And like, sometimes it was like pulling teeth, but at the end of those 15 minutes, if I was capable of continuing, I would sometimes be so excited. I wouldn't want the timer to go, you know, I would want to keep going and I would never regret setting that timer. And then there were days where it was like, all I could do was put a notebook on the kitchen counter and leave it open. And like between cooking and clean, like I would just scatter lines, but at least Mm -hmm. it was out there and it was waiting for me. And I think the restraints of time, like I'm definitely one of those, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to be 40. Like I really wanted to publish before I was, you know, but it doesn't matter the focus on timing. You know, my friend Autumn, who's lovely, has struggled to write the sequel for her book. And I mean, didn't write for a long, long time because of life and all these things. And she was so happy recently to return to her story and have it all click back into place. Like her story was Mm -hmm. waiting for her and this was when it had to happen. And that was fine. I just feel so positive that when the story is ready and and when it's time, like it will be there. My book read, like it didn't sell the first time on submission, but I have a second chance at it years later. So even if you're querying and and you don't get an agent or your publisher folds or all of these things happen. Like it doesn't mean that it's over. Mm. It just means not now. That's such a great lesson to take with us, I think, and to to kind of hold close and make sure that we reflect on that because there's so many downs that come. And then when the ups come, we have to remember to celebrate them. Courtney and I were just talking about this earlier, just remembering to celebrate all the little things because the journey is really long. For a lot of people, it doesn't just happen straight away. There's just, there's so many things you can't anticipate as, as we've seen, you know, as you've talked about your journey and shared so beautifully with us. What we can take from that is that we just have to be gracious with ourselves and remember, again, you know, why we show up and what story means to us. I love that. And I am all about the celebrating. Like I am the one who, oh, first draft is on. I'm going out for sushi. Like I am (laughs) celebrating every little small thing. It doesn't have to be a cost. Like you can celebrate however makes your heart happy and But I think that's one thing that I found myself like in the last few months was I didn't really take the time to celebrate selling Mm -hmm. my book because I think a part of me was afraid to believe it. And also when something great and amazing happens, sometimes, I don't know, there's some psychology behind this, but sometimes you talk yourself out of it or you just Mm -hmm. have been striving so long that once you reach that thing, I don't know, we just don't pause and reflect enough. So that's Mm -hmm. one of my goals here is just to be really present in the moment of when these great things happen, like letting myself believe them and, and be happy because life is short. And like some really great things have happened to me in my career lately. And I want to celebrate that. I want to celebrate with you. Yeah. I also want to celebrate. I want to celebrate everybody now. Yeah. Oh my God. Every, every win for every person. Like every time I see those publishing deals pop up, I like my heart just jumps. And especially when one of my good friends has something like, I just want to scream it about it so much yeah. because we all know what it's like to, to try to get 
to that to that goal, right? To something. And it doesn't yeah. even have to be a specific thing, but we know, right? So when it happens, it's like a win for everyone. Yeah. I'm sure we've mentioned this many times that it just, I feel like that's such a unique thing to the writing community that we are yeah. so bonded by all of the struggle that when somebody wins, we're all cheering on the sidelines. <laughs> we're like, yes, 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 go for it. Oh my God, you're amazing. I love that. I love that because we're all in it together in a way. And all of our journeys are so different and so individual, but we all understand what everybody else is going through. And so we show up for each other. And that to me is just one of the most beautiful things. I just, I gush about this community constantly because I feel like it's the space where people really show up for each other and really, really care. And I just don't know any other community like that. I don't think there are, there are people who go out and have ordinary jobs. Like, you know, I, I feel like writing is not an ordinary job. It's you like pouring your soul out constantly and having it be vulnerable to the world constantly. But then you get all of this kind of incredible, I don't want to say feedback, but um, it, it feels like a hug. It feels like you put it out and then it hurts. But also there's, there's other, these other bits that kind of everybody coming together. And I sometimes forget that. And then I moan about it to my writing friends and they show up like straight away. They'll, they'll cry with me. They'll laugh with me. They'll say beautiful things to me to cheer me up. And it's just, I love this community. I love it so much too. And my heart just like tugged when you said that, but like we put it out there and it hurts, but then but then it's like this hug, but, and also like, even for people I've never even talked to and like, like I follow all yeah. kinds of amazing writers and I see their books at the store and I feel like I know that, like, I know there's mm. it's a really good job of separation. Like we don't really know everyone on the internet, but I just get so happy for them and feel like this sense of accomplishment with them. Yeah. 100%. I feel that too. And it's such a cool thing though, that we have. I love it. We're lucky. Very Can lucky. you say one more time when your book is coming out? Yes, it's coming out June 27th with okay. Delacorte Press, which is through Penguin Random House. And I'm going to do a really fun pre-order gift. Ooh. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I get so excited for these things. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so June 27th, I yes. am going to open up a bottle of champagne in your honor. <laughs> Thank you. I am like, I don't know even what I'm going to do. I said, part of me knows that it's just going to be a really emotional day. And mm-hmm. I think I might want to wrap myself in a blanket and eat burritos all day. I I'm laughing because I call that burrito day when I, yeah. when I have a day where I'm like, <laughs> I like wrap myself in a blanket and I'm like, I'm a burrito. <laughs> but then I was like, I was so uh, excited because, you know, my writing with the soul are one of our small, our small group of six, like we meet every week on Zoom. Some of us are able to come every week. And Adrian Young stopped by one of the meetings and she was like, you can't just, and I was so glad to get to talk to her because I never talked to her, you know, and she was like, you can't just stay at home all day. You at least have to go sign a book somewhere, like do something to celebrate that day. So I will force myself to like, I mean, not force, like I'll be glad to go out and celebrate, but I just know I'm going to be probably like, in a ball <laughs> crying all day <laughs> I, I think you should I think you should yeah. go into a bookstore mm-hmm. and yeah. see your book in the wild and yeah. sign it Rachel that, like, that, that would be exciting I'm coming and I'm gonna have the security t-shirt on and like she's they think that I'm having a party I don't know what I'm doing but <laughs> well let us know when your party is yeah <laughs> Courtney <laughs> The more, the more the merrier everyone is welcome so if I do anything I will definitely I will definitely share about it and maybe it'll be like a month later I don't know when it would be but we'll see look Gabby I just got us invited to a party so oh my goodness okay so um Gabby do you think we should ask our 
Our special story beast questions. Are, yeah. Yes. Okay, Amanda, I'm going to read out your story beast. And then I'd love if you could tell us just a little bit more about it. So you wrote, my story beast could never be anything other than a creature of the sea, as though a horse and a dragon came to be one being. She's fluid and fierce, graceful and mystical. She flashes in iridescent colors, milky white and lavender, golden, the palest aqua and periwinkle. I don't know her name yet. We are still learning each other this far into the process, but I know she's here to help me get stronger, to dig deeper inside myself. When I think of her, I smile, knowing I'm guided. That really that I that is it. really 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 beautiful and very touching. Thank you. I love. That. I feel like it's an extension of feeling. Yeah, I had to really think about it, you know, because the questions that you asked on the thing were pretty unique, and it's like, what what is mine? And I just I feel very alive in water and creative, and I feel like anytime I'm stuck, like. I can take a shower and it'll clear my head or have a bubble bath or go sit by the lake. So I knew it had to be something to do with water. So that's mine. Mm. It's really lovely. You know, and water is also kind of one of those like emotional things too. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's like water is like emotion, I feel like. So that is awesome. I'm a little bit of an astrology nerd. I have um, Pisces in my 10th house of career and... Pisces is a water sign. And so I always feel like when I'm stuck, if I just get by water, it like helps jumpstart my, my creativity a little bit. That's incredible. I, I wish I had a magic element. I mean, maybe you just haven't found it yet. I mean, I do like water, but I kind of had to, I, I used to dive for a long time and then I moved to places where there was nowhere to do that. But I do feel like nature is always something that helps ground me. Too. Um, unless it's like here and there's dangerous nature I was moaning to Courtney earlier because there was a snake oh, and um we didn't realize till afterwards that it was really poisonous and it was literally like an arm's length away from me no thank you and I was like I will I will now be floating over the ground so when you meet me again <laughs> the origin story of why um my element is coffee so oh. yeah um okay so Fair. what is your favorite snack? Oh, God. I mean, that's like asking favorite book, right? Like there's so many, but I'm definitely, I have grown way out of my sweet tooth as I've gotten older. I've noticed like I would much rather have any savory snack, like give me cheese pizza instead of any sweet. But I do love, like if I'm going to have something sweet, chocolate is always a hit or tiramisu is my favorite dessert probably. But I'm like all about like that spicy kind of sweet balance so like chili sweet chili stuff or potato chips or pizza cheese like anything with cheese is so good to me I'm like a melty cheesy gooey person I'm like getting I'm starving no I I, I, we always end this and think I know that we ask these at the end because we get so hungry but yes I love savory snacks too I think they're much better than sweet snacks I never like sweet things yeah. Yeah. You're more of a fruity person, right? Mm. <laughs> I love, I love, I have a blueberry smoothie, blueberry banana smoothie, like five times a week, which is like my lunch a lot of the time, but I've had fondue like twice. Hmm. I think it's fine. Maybe it's that it's more like a sauce than a cheese. I'm not sure. Mm, okay. Okay. And you know what I really want ask. now though is sushi. I don't know. I don't know. I know we're not talking about sushi, but no, I feel like she I mentioned sushi. sushi earlier for a celebration. I love sushi. I love pretty much 
I mean, I love Asian flavors, ginger. I love ginger tea. Oh yeah. Ginger tea. Um, yeah. Nachos. Like I'm a vegetarian mostly. I'll eat, I eat some piece of seafood, but like we do these loaded veggie burritos, which I love. They're mm. so good. Mm. Oh my gosh. I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I'm not like a big sweets person. The other day I went to this, we have this little natural market downtown and there was this milk chocolate candy bar with like crunchy caramel bits like it was almost like toffee but and I was like I could you know it was like just one of those days where you need a little comfort and I was like um, oh I need this uh, I'll have a square when I get home and I got home and I had a square and it was amazing and then I was like I'm, I'm eating the whole thing it was so good and now <laughs> I'm like I feel like I should go get like a stockpile of this amazing candy bar you should that sounds like like something that I would hide from yeah. everyone else yeah <laughs> I do I have like a separate cupboard for my snacks and everybody else's snacks and I get very upset when people go into my snack cupboard <laughs> I hide my good snacks because you know yeah I feel like no one else appreciates the good yes. chocolate they can have like their, they my kids all have like Halloween candy buckets just full so they're good they don't need mama's expensive chocolate <laughs> <laughs> okay everyone so thank you Amanda Thank you. Um, this was so good. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed so it. I'm so happy that you joined us. Thank you so much. Thank you. My heart is full and I love what you're doing here. I feel like every episode I listen to, you know, you never know what's going to happen or what you're going into, even though there's like a caption. And every time I'm a little bit surprised by what it is I take away from it. And I just, I love what you're doing. Mm, thank, thank you for thank saying you. that. Yeah. Thank you so much.